All right. Well, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and open your Bibles uh, to the Gospel of John. We are in John 10 this morning. Uh, if you're a guest to Faith Lutheran this morning, uh, we are going through the Gospel of John, chapter by chapter, uh, verse by verse. Uh, this is a 44-week sermon series. I've never done that long of a sermon series before, uh, and so we're, I don't know, somewhere in the middle of it, and um, we're just going through it, uh, and we're uh, looking at even the hard texts, uh, the ones that challenge us uh, and invite us uh, to just really kind of deal with them, because there are many difficult texts, of course, in, uh, in Scripture. John 10, we're going to pick up where we left off last week, beginning with verse 22 today. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You uh, that You are indeed a God who is good and faithful, a God, Lord, who has dwelt among us for the past five years, led us and guided us um, so faithfully. And so, God, as we continue to worship You today, as we reflect on Your Word, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, for You are indeed our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, perhaps the most famous of William Shakespeare's plays is Hamlet, and there's a very familiar line uh, that most of us know. It comes in uh, Act One, Scene Three of the play Hamlet, to be or not to be, that is the question. And what most people don't know is this young Prince Hamlet was reflecting on his own life. And he had gone through lots of uh, tumult. He had been very, very frustrated. And he was actually contemplating ending his own life because of all the problems uh, that were going on. To be or not to be? That is the question that Prince Hamlet was reflecting on. But I think he's wrong. I don't think that is the question. I think the question that all of us in this room and in the world need to wrestle with is to believe or not to believe. That is the question that not only leads us and guides us in this life, but determines where we will spend all of eternity, whether we believe or not. Jesus actually said in John 8, if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. This is an important question. Do we believe or do we not believe? And if you've been following along throughout the Gospel of John. This is the theme of the Gospel of John. Over and over and over, we have looked at this idea of what does it mean to believe. John, the disciple of Jesus, actually uses this word believe 98 times throughout the Gospel of John. And today, we're going we're gonna to see this word show up, believe, seven more times. It just keeps coming up over and over and over. And to give you a little context, we are now nearing the end of Jesus' three-year ministry. And John circles back to where it, all believe, uh, where it all began, and it's really about believing. And this is why John ends his gospel 
with these words from John 20, 30 and 31. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's about believing. I mean, if there's one thing that the Gospel of John is all about, it is about believing. It's all about believing. And the interesting thing in these 21 verses that we're going to cover today is that 18 out of the 21 verses are not about believing, but they are actually about unbelief. So Jesus is going to spend a lot of time talking about what it means to have unbelief and only three verses about belief. And I think in many ways, this is kind of the ratio of reality in the world. I mean, the reality is most people do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God. Just a handful of us, just a remnant of us, just a small proportion of us actually believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And I think sometimes we get frustrated with the world because so many people don't believe. But that's just, it, that's always been the case of what it has been. Just a small handful of people believe. But Jesus tells us that when we believe, we can have life in his name. And that's good news. And that's why we've gathered today to worship God and say thank you. Thank you for what you have given to us and the ways in which you've given us this gift of belief. So let's look at John 10, beginning with verse 22. Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was uh, in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's colonnade. And so right off the bat, John tells us that it's winter time. And he means this in a very literal sense. It's somewhere probably between Thanksgiving and Christmas time. It's cold outside. It's getting colder outside. The days are getting darker. And not only are people experiencing the wintertime, but metaphorically, people are also growing cold towards Jesus. And they're getting colder and colder and colder. Just a handful of people feel the warmth and the love of Jesus Christ. And it says it was the festival of the dedication, and we know this as the season of Hanukkah. And Hanukkah was that time for God's people, the Israelites, about 165 A.D. or B.C., a group of uh, rebels rose up against the Syrians, and they said, we are sick and tired of you disrespecting us. And what the Syrians had done at that point in time is they had sacrificed a pig in the temple. They had cleansed the temple from all the Jewish artifacts, and they cleansed it, and they had sacrificed a pig, and they put a statue of Zeus. It was so offensive and the Maccabees said, we're not having it. And so they rose up and they revolted against the Syrians. And so as they're thinking about Hanukkah, there's this idea of, of an uprising, of a rebellion, of getting rid of uh, the, 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 the army, the people who are, taking, who are over them. And at this point in time, of course, it's the Romans. And the thing about Judas Maccabees and his brothers is Judas had a nickname. It was called the Hammer. There's this imagery of he was a very forceful warrior, a forceful general. 
And every time I drive through Indiana, I see these billboards of this lawyer. It says that he's the hammer. I think, man, he must be a tough lawyer. I mean, if you want to hire a good lawyer to get something done for you, you want to hire a hammer, right? Wherever they see a nail, they're just going to pound whoever you're going up against. Such a great nickname. Nobody's ever called me the hammer before. But that's who Judas Maccabees was, as he was the hammer. And they rose up against the Syrians, and they kicked him out. And so this is all pretty fresh in the mind of God's people, the Jewish folks, and certainly of Jesus and the disciples. This idea of let's get rid of the people who have come to rule and reign over us. It was very fresh in their minds. And the, God's people, they were always thinking about the Messiah for sure. But around this time when they were celebrating the festival of Hanukkah, they were especially mindful of an uprising, of a rebellion. Let's get rid of the foreign invaders. It was a very nationalistic, very patriotic, much like July 4th for us. That's what Hanukkah was like and continues to be like for the Jewish people, is let's get rid of those people who have conquered us and desecrated uh, our, our temple and done horrible things to us. Verse 24 The Jews who were gathered around him, Jesus, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. There's this interesting idea of belief and unbelief, or sometimes we talk about belief and doubt, or unbelief and doubt. And we kind of use these words all very interchangeably. But I think there's a big distinction between unbelief and doubt. I think to doubt is natural. I think all of us doubt in our faith. And I think doubt is actually a healthy thing. But unbelief has a presupposition of I'm not going to believe it. I'm starting out from a place of not believing. And I'm just going to look around for different places where I can say, see, that's why. See, that's why. And so unbelief comes from a presupposition or an idea on the front end that Jesus is not the Messiah. And this is why Jesus says, I've told you, but you don't believe me. I've shown you signs. I've shown you miracles. There's been testimonies about me, but you still don't believe. See, they don't have doubt. They have unbelief. Matthew Henry, uh, a British theologian, once said this, There are none so blind as those who will not see. There are none so deaf as those who will not hear. When we think about those who do not believe, who actually have unbelief, they've made up their minds already. And you know people like that today, that no matter what you say, no matter what they read in Scripture, no matter what kind of testimonies they might hear, they're like, yeah, I'm not buying it. I don't believe. But then there's doubt. And doubt starts from a place of faith. Doubt presupposes faith. Doubt is like when we say, all right, I I believe in Jesus, but I've got some questions. I believe in Jesus, but I've got a few roadblocks along the way, some things I'm trying to work through. Doubt says, I believe in Jesus, but there are these things that I just don't understand. 
Do you hear the difference between belief, doubt, and unbelief? They're very different. One assumes faith and the other does not. Os Guinness, a, a pastor in Ireland today, says it this way, show me the intensity of someone's doubts and I will show you that person's intensity in their faith. If you came to worship this morning with some doubts, you're in a good place. We're glad you're here. And we're all on this journey together. And I just, I want to encourage you. Sometimes we, we kind of beat ourselves up and we say, well, I've got these doubts. Doubt is okay. Unbelief is something else. And this is why Jesus said, I did tell you I'm the Messiah, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hands. And so the rhetoric and the tone of this conversation uh, between the religious people and Jesus, that the temperature is rising. And it's, it's going back and forth, back and forth. And Jesus says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. And Jesus makes it very clear that his sheep are, are people who believe in him. And that, they, that we experience this gift of, of faith from Jesus. That we receive this not by anything we do, but because he has freely given it to us. And when we receive it, he says, you're in good hands. Now, I think there's an insurance slogan that says something about you're in good hands. And I know that's a little blasphemous here in Bloomington Normal, Right? But that's good theology. And we need to embrace that slogan. We need to embrace that theology. That if you are in Christ, that if you believe that Je what Jesus did on the cross for you, that you are in good hands. He is holding you. He is carrying you. And no one can snatch you out of his hands. He says, no one can snatch you out of my hands. No one can snatch you out of my Father's hands. And this is why I preach, you can't lose your salvation, because he's got you. He's holding on to you, and you need not fear, you need not fret. Oh, am I somehow going to be snatched out of my Father's hands? Jesus says you can't be snatched out of your Father's hands. About 20-some years ago, uh, my wife and I were uh, living uh, and serving as missionaries in Southeast Asia and Thailand. And after some time, uh, we decided we needed a little bit of a break uh, from the minister that we're involved with. So we spent some time traveling around uh, Malaysia, uh, both mainland Malaysia and then also on the island of Borneo. And if you've ever uh, been to uh, that part of the world, you know that Borneo is a, a pretty special place. Uh, half the island is Indonesia, the other half is uh, Malaysia. And we were just really excited to check things out on the island of Borneo. Borneo is one of the few places in the world where they have got orangutans uh, in their natural habitat. And when I say orangutan, I uh, just kind of want to refresh you all on what kind of animal this is. They've got kind of the, the reddish hair, 
Okay, they're about four to five feet tall. They're pretty good size uh, uh, animals, and, but their, their wingspan or their arm span is seven feet long. So they're only four to five feet tall, but their arm span is seven feet tall. And um, they are really powerful. These are some really, really strong animals. Um, and the other interesting uh, thing about orangutans is that they mostly live up in the trees. And so we thought, well, let's go see the orangutans uh, in this wildlife habitat where they are protected. And so we spent the afternoon looking up in the trees, trying to just catch a glimpse of the orangutans moving through uh, the, the trees. And we kind of struck out. And uh, we didn't really see anything, and we thought, well, we'll just kind of stop for some water, and there was a clearing up ahead. And so as we got to the clearing up ahead, we pulled out our water bottles, and as we were standing there, six orangutans come walking out of the rainforest. These are powerful beasts. And I'm thinking to myself, and my wife was over, she was quite a ways away from me because we were just kind of looking around and taking a little break. So we were nowhere near one another. And they just come walking out. And I'm freaking out. She's freaking out. She's like, what do we do? And I'm like, don't move. Just ignore them. They'll keep going. And as they walked out, one of them walked over to my wife and grabbed her hand and at this point in time, I don't know if this orangutan is just going to pick her up and start swinging her around because they are that strong or just, you know, pick her up and take her off into the jungle. And I was, you know, it was going to be the last moment that I was ever going to see my wife. I didn't know what to do. So I got out my camera. <laughs> and I just started taking pictures. I knew I couldn't take on this family of orangutans, but I thought, well, I might as well capture the moment, right? <laughs> and I was, I was, I was in shock, and, and finally I looked over, and I'm like, okay, you can let go of his hand now. She's like, I can't. He had such a grip on her hand, and, and she's kind of doing this kind of thing, and she couldn't let go. She could not let go until that orangutan decided he was going to let go of her hand. And after some time, he let go, and they walked off back into the woods, the rainforest. When I think about, and I read this text this week, if you cannot be snatched away from the hands of Jesus, you cannot be snatched away from the hands of God. I'm reminded of that story in Malaysia and the orangutan that just would not let go of my wife. And so I want to leave you that image this morning to think about no matter how hard you pull away, if you are in Christ, He will not let you go. He's got you. I and the Father are one. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I have said you are God's. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be said, set aside, 
What about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's Son. Do not believe me unless I do the works of the Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. So it's going back and forth. And they're like, we don't believe you. Who, you know, who do you think you are? And they pick up stones. They want to kill him for the things that he's saying. And I think it's really interesting what Jesus does when he's having this conversation this dialogue with the, they call the Jewish opponents. Jesus says, is it not written in your law? And then a little while later, he says, Scripture cannot be set aside. I, think, I, I find this fascinating. Because in the midst of this conversation back and forth, Jesus brings up Scripture. He says, here's the deal, folks. You are supposed to be experts in the law in Scripture. Don't you know what your Scripture says? Don't you know what your law says? Over and over and over throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, when Jesus is having a, a conversation with someone, he always goes back to Scripture. He always goes back to the Old Testament. Jesus has a very high view of the Old Testament. He has great reverence and respect for the Old Testament. Hey, do you, don't you remember what David said? Don't you remember what Moses said? Don't you remember what Abraham said? I mean, these are the kind of things that Jesus brought up over and over and over. And we live in a day and time where people don't have reverence for Scripture. And we have to ask ourselves this morning, if Jesus had great reverence and respect for the Old Testament, how are we doing with that? This is why we're reading through the Bible last year, and this is why we're reading through the Gospel of John this year, because the foundation of everything we believe, it, it all comes back to Scripture. Jesus had a great reverence and respect for Scripture, and we ought to as well. Sometimes I hear people say, oh, I believe in Jesus. I just don't believe everything in the Bible. I don't know what Bible they're reading. Because Jesus had great respect for the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. We don't have the luxury of just believing in Jesus and then discounting the rest of the Bible. Jesus believed in everything in the Bible over and over. In, in fact, in, in Matthew 24, he says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. He says, listen, folks, what is in the Bible, what is in Scripture, what is in the Word, these things are around forever. Pay attention to them. And then uh, when he was preaching uh, in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. What Jesus is talking about is the smallest detail. Another version says every jot and tittle. And a jot is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It's called the yod. And you see it, and it's just, it's very small. So what Jesus is saying is, is pay attention to the smallest letter. And a tittle is just like a, a, a pronunciation. It, it tells you how to pronounce a particular word. Jesus says, even, even the punctuation matters. How you read God's Word, Old Testament and New Testament, it all matters. So we ask ourselves, 
Do we have reverence for God's Word? All of it. Not just what we pick and choose. I get so frustrated when people just use this language of Jesus was all about love. Love is love, right? So love is just going to define by love. No. Love is not love. Jesus is love. Love cannot define itself. We take these ideas and we pull them out of Scripture, and that becomes our mantra. That becomes our, our, uh, who we are for our Christian faith. We put it in such broad brushstrokes, and what we're really saying is, I want to create Jesus in my image. I'm going to redefine the Bible. And Jesus says, no. Every detail of Scripture matters, Old Testament and New Testament. We've got to study it. Because Jesus held Scripture in such high reverence. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many people believed in Jesus. And so John takes us back to the place where Jesus was originally baptized. It's kind of the full circle of ministry here of what's going on. And now don't, don't think that, oh, Jesus has got to run away from the conflict or Jesus has got to get away because they're going to arrest him. Jesus isn't hiding from anyone. He's not trying to get away from anyone. What he's trying to do is to go back to the place where John baptized him, back to his roots when his public ministry began. And there people come out, and they go to visit him. And so what John is doing in this text is he's juxtaposing or he's contrasting the people who were in Jerusalem who saw the signs of Jesus and did not believe, those who don't believe, and the people who were out in the wilderness who saw the signs of Jesus and the witness and the testimony of Jesus, and yet they believed. So there's this contrast of people who see and believe and people who see and don't believe. And it all goes back to the baptism of Jesus and John the Baptist. It says, in that place, many believed in Jesus. Now, people will sometimes say, well, I'm really happy for you that you can believe in Jesus. I just, I can't believe in Jesus. I, I just, I don't have that level of faith. See, because I'm, I'm an educated person. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pragmatic person. I'm someone who looks at the world and a very, uh, you know, I, I just see things the way they are. But I'm glad you can believe. That's just so great that you can believe. You know, just this kind of blind faith. I'm more educated than you are. I see the world differently than you do. I, I just... You're really sweet, but I just can't believe that level of belief. I wish I had your belief. I just, I just can't believe. You ever heard that before? Because they're so much smarter than we are, right? To which I might say, well, um, how about that device in your pocket? Do you understand that device in your pocket? Do you understand the, the LCD screen on there? how that works, you can just touch that screen 
and all of a sudden things happen. Well, I don't understand the LCD part. Well, how about the battery part? Do you understand how the, the battery collects um, uh, energy and then uh, for, I don't know, hours it, it, it sends it back out? Do you understand how a battery works in your device? No, I, I don't understand all that part. Well, how about, uh, do you understand how the internet works because your phone is oftentimes connected to the internet and that you can be um, looking at your phone and get information from all over the world? Do you understand how your cell phone connects to the cell tower? Well, I mean, I understand it in broad brushstrokes, but I don't get all the science behind it. I mean, we can go on and on all day long, right? Do you understand how that little uh, computer works, how the functioning of the, on that computer works on your device? No, I don't get it all. I mean, the circuit from here to there on that little device, do you understand how those connections work? Well, not, not exactly, but I just know that it, it, it works. Well, then you must not use a cell phone, right? No, I do. Well, why, why in the world would you do that? Well, it, it, it just works. They trust, they believe in their cell phone that it's going to work even though they don't understand it. Or how about, uh, how about this one? Have, have you ever received a, a, a check from someone? Somebody ever written a check out to you? Well, why would you sign that check? Or why would you, you know, trust that that check? That, that check has no inherent value to it. But someone has written you a check because they are promising you that they're going to pay you the money. Why would you believe them? Well, I just trust them that they're, they're, they're good for their money, Right? So what do you do when you cash a check or you take it to a bank? Why would you take it to a bank? How do you know they're going to give you your money back when you ask for it back? Well, I just trust them. I just believe them. Oh, so you do have belief in a banking institution. You do have belief in a cell phone. You don't understand how all these things work, but at the end of the day, you believe and trust. Or how about this one? Have you ever been to a restaurant before? How do you know that the food they are serving you isn't going to poison you? I mean, I've worked in food service. <laughs> you might want to be a little more careful about where you go to restaurants. I'm just saying. I know what goes on in the kitchen. I used to work in the kitchen. How do you know how, when you go to a restaurant that the food that they set down before you isn't going to make you sick or kill you? You believe. You just trust. See, the truth is all of us. Every single one of us on the planet, we have belief and we have trust and we have faith in something. We just pick and choose what we're going to believe. See, the, the, the proud atheist who says, I just can't believe that you believe in Jesus. I just can't have that level of faith. They believe in lots of things. But honestly, they don't believe in the signs of Jesus and in the testimony of Jesus. So I just want to encourage you, don't back down on your faith. Don't think that, that somehow the, the, the proud atheist, you know, they're, they're a person of reason and science and logic and reasoning. They are also people of faith, just like you. They're no smarter than you. But you've chosen through the testimony pointing towards Jesus and the evidence. God never tells us in the Bible, just believe, just have blind faith. There is nowhere in the Bible where it says, you got to just believe, just, just blind faith. It makes no sense, but believe it anyways. In fact, it's the opposite. What the Bible tells us is there's lots and lots of evidence pointing towards Jesus, and we need to examine the evidence. And when we examine the evidence, then we weigh, are we going to believe? 
And so this morning, um, like every Sunday here at Faith Lutheran, we have an opportunity to say, I believe. And we do that through receiving Holy Communion. And so if, if you've got your communion elements, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to pull them out and just hang on to them for just a moment. When we receive Holy Communion in worship, we are making a public declaration of faith. When we receive the bread, the wine, the grape juice, it's our way of saying, I believe, I trust in the words of Jesus and what He has brought, uh, given to me in the bread and in the wine in these elements. And there are really three things that we're kind of putting a stake in the ground when we receive Holy Communion. And the first thing is, is we're remembering. Jesus says, remember me when you receive this gift of Holy Communion. As you are believing, remember what I have done for you, my sacrifice on the cross. The second thing we're doing when we receive uh, Holy Communion is we're rejoicing. We're celebrating what Jesus is doing right now in our lives and in the world. Holy Communion, part of that word is union. It's that binding of the body of Christ together. In this meal, we are celebrating how God brings us together as His people, and we join with Christians uh, around the world and in heaven. That, that this is, He has gathered us together, and so we remember, we look back on what He has done for us, and then we celebrate, we rejoice in what He's doing for us now. And the third thing we do uh, in this meal is, is we look forward to the renewal of of our faith. When we receive the, the, the bread and the wine, it's that looking forward. It gives us hope towards the future. That God has not only done good things for us in the past, He's doing a wonderful gift for us in the present, but He promises to be with us into the future. I think that's a wonderful gift that He gives to us through this meal. And so when we come in, I know oftentimes we just kind of go through the motions, but I want you to know when you receive this meal, you are declaring, I believe. I got questions, I got doubts, I got roadblocks, I got challenges, but I believe. We invite Jesus just to work through our doubts as we live into this belief that He has invited us to live. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You uh, that You are indeed a God who comes to us and gives us this gift of faith. And Lord, You have promised us that if we are in Christ, if we are in You, if that we believe that what You did on the cross counts for us, that our salvation has been settled. That God, we don't have to worry, we don't have to stress, because no one, not even ourselves, can let go of your hand. No one can snatch us away from you, God. And so, God, thank you for that assurance that you've given us today, that we are safe in the arms of Jesus as we are safe in the body of Christ. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer.